We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings NFL season, almost here. So we need to talk about it a little bit more, talking about different tout sites, talking about win totals, maybe some week one action, just the industry in general, where we at. We've had so much content up on Mayo Media Network that if you haven't checked it out, you should right now go subscribe, smash the like where you're here. If you're watching on the video, if you're listening, to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Please rate and review. And if you want free fantasy projections that are completely customizable, go to runthesims.com right now. Big news coming this week at Run the Sims 2 in terms of the different simulations that you'll be able to customize throughout the season. Got to pay for that, though. So Code Mayo is where you want to be. And if you are a fantasy commissioner, you don't like holding on to the money, I highly suggest leaguesafe.com. They've been around for 15 years. They are trustworthy. With the money, and there's a little mic icon. If you go to leaksafe.com, if you type in code Mayo, you get an extra 10 bucks thrown in the pot just for storing your money up there. Easy to pay out as well. Leaksafe.com. Go check it out right now. Joining me, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a really long time, and we've been doing so many structured shows recently. I just want to kind of kick back and chat with someone inside the industry, Adam Chirinov of Right Angle Sports, the RAS app. What's going on, man? Hey, going well. You said this was a football show. I thought we might be cracking open the Upper Decks Artifacts box you got there and seeing if we pull some one-of-one Charlie Hoffmans out of that thing. Okay, so here's the deal. Feinberg told me, he's like, oh, like when he was Uh big into cards, he's like, hey, there's these golf cards coming. I was like, do you want a box? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll like open them on the show or do whatever with them. Uh, So he bought me this box. I was like, what's it going to be? He's like, oh, 1,200 bucks. I was like, wait, well, what? I thought it was gonna be like 30 bucks. <laughs> so I know I'm uh, shipping PayPal and Jeff 1200 bucks American in order to get these stupid. There's like three cards in that pack or something like six. I'm never opening and, it. I'll sell, I'll sell it. Never opened in like five years time to try to get my money back. Was this like a COVID shutdown type of fad that when he went through or when was this? He, well, he got into it big during the COVID shutdown because I think he bought every Justin Herbert card imaginable. This was right. just... I remember the collection. Yeah, this was probably just like, you know, nine months into COVID. He's like, oh yeah, there's golf cards coming out. I was like, well, that sounds fun. That sounds fun for the show. Like we can do an unboxing. It'll be great. And then I'm just like, I, I'm poor now. <laughs> well, you got the box sealed. So hopefully they boom in value in 10 to 20 years. We'll see what happens. They won't. I don't think so. My hopes are not high. We need we need another like overall world shutdown for sports cards to go back through the roof, I think. Or just a bunch of like 100 to 200 ranked golfers just go on a hot streak and boost the value. But I'm not holding out for either. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen, especially if live guys are coming back. Anyway, tell me about this app. It's really intriguing. 
So we launched it this year. Uh, we're really trying to share a lot more commentary and thoughts. For those who don't know, Red Angle Sports has been a group of professional bettors that have been around since the late 1990s. So just a ton of experience. They've had a ton of success on the private betting side, uh, but they've run a service as well for the better part of two decades. And so when I joined them last year, I really, my goal was to try extract as much sort of expertise and kind of get them sharing and, and doing a little more, more content as well as start to learn a lot myself as I get involved with them in the betting day to day. So if you're a fan of the NFL and you want to have sort of somewhere to go when something happens, you want to know how to think about an injury or anything that you might've just seen during a game, a lot of commentary, getting you ready, reacting to things that happen from our perspective as betters on what you should be thinking when you're going to bet as well. So there's certainly, I think some fantasy crossover in terms of the shares of opinions, but really a betting focused app that's free to download and free to use as well. So it's been up for a couple of weeks now, uh, getting a lot of really good feedback on it, a lot of good responses that we're going to keep doing more and more as the season comes around. All right. That's the RAS app in the app store. If you want to go check that out right now, do you find, I mean, this is what I found because I've dealt with a lot of professional bettors who, you know, people always ask like, why would a professional better if they're making so much money want to get into the content space? It's like, well, there's always inherent risk when you are a professional gambler, there's swings, there's up and down. Like, why wouldn't you try to create some sort of floor of income for yourself and still do what you were doing anyway? It's just more money coming in. I mean, that's the answer, right? So there, I have sort of like the personal answer for myself and then the <laughs> sort of group answer for why they've been doing it. So for me, myself, it's exactly what you said. Like, I don't know how many people realize how intense betting professionally is on a day-to-day -day basis. And so there's a question of, do you want to live that every single day and go through that and deal with the getting down and collecting and staying on top of everything and managing the swings? It's a lot. So there's that side of it that I think is, just brutally underestimated. But then there's also the other side where like I'm thinking about our group specifically, the way that Ed Golden, who's the founder of RAS and the way that he describes it is it's becoming a math problem in many regions of the United States where, I mean, these guys are betting so much money on every single thing that they get down. If, if you're trying to go from maybe betting 50,000 a game to a hundred thousand, which is unthinkable for 99% of people listening, but the, the to be able to scale that and get down is incredibly difficult. And, and I mean, I, I'm part of the group, but I certainly can't relate to betting that kind of money, but they're doing it every single day. Whereas when you're trying to sell a pick or give out information and you look at how that can be scaled, if your EV is 10% on a $50,000 bet, you're looking at $5,000 a bet. Whereas to sell something or to sell info to get $5,000 a pick, much more manageable to take that to 10 or more. Whereas when you're trying to bet significantly more in today's landscape, it's becoming significantly more difficult to do so. And so that's why a lot of pros now coming into the space, I think, are starting to see that, specifically us. And that's where a lot of this is coming from, too. So it's either kind of the relevance, which is the big thing, or you're just having these restrictions with how much you can bet. And there's so many people wanting this information that it, it kind of makes a lot of sense to do that. Is it difficult to penetrate into this market? Because a lot of the places that are around right now, they probably started as like a regular fantasy football site, like 15 years ago, they morphed into a daily fantasy site. 10-ish years ago, and now they're doing everything, yep. including sports betting. And there's a lot of really good actors in the space right now who are legitimately good or they're providing great information that you can draw from. It's not just like an email list full of picks that may or may not win, or maybe you get the one half of the picks and someone else gets the other half of the picks and all the horror stories that we've seen. Oh, but, yeah. but those people still exist in this Absolutely. space. So what would you say to people who are trying to like sift through the good actors and bad actors? I'd say it's really, really hard to do because what I'm noticing is day by day as more people come into the space, not only as creators and people trying to sell something, but also consumers, um, we're very much losing control over what is good content and what is bad content. I don't think it's ever been more difficult to sort of sift through the noise and figure that out. Uh, I think back to say like 15 years ago when I first got into the space, there were maybe three or four major forums that dominated the space. And those essentially had people 
who were drawing the line between good and bad. And so it was a lot easier to tell, in my opinion, back then. But now, like, like you can get into sports betting from so many different places and so many different angles. And there's so many new customers being created every day by these sports books who are now doing content of their own. The lines between what's good and bad is really being blurred. And so, I mean, we can go a lot of ways with this discussion. Do you want to go more to like, how do you tell what a good pick is? How do you tell what good content is? Like, which way... Which way should we take this? Because I have pretty strong opinions on each. Well, I mean, we can hit on both of them. But I mean, we can get into content because one thing that I have noticed about just even a lot of the pro bettors that I know that have tried to move from, not necessarily move from the pro betting space, continue to be pro bettors, but now they're inside the content space, is that they're not good at content. And that's a real problem. And I mean, that's been an issue for a very long time. We saw, I mean, just look at some of the analysts that they put on TV now. So there's a, you know, a DraftKings deal with ESPN, probably not for very long if that's going to be the case but you have like rex ryan giving out DraftKings picks on uh, on sunday morning football it's like well that doesn't really make any sense and maybe that's what DraftKings wants to get the biggest name possible just talking about that stuff and maybe that's good for everyone but like the chances he's ever actually filled out a DraftKings lineup are actually pretty low and you see this locally you see this nationally whatever it is you just have people who are very unfamiliar with the space don't even come close to speaking the language and they're the advocates out there that most people are seeing well most of the people who i listen i don't even want to say the words do know what they're talking about but at least understand the space enough to try to guide you in the right direction and they're still predominantly on the fringes online on an app on youtube me for example i mean i'm not a good better everyone who watches the show knows that but i don't think that anyone would accuse me of being disingenuous with trying to prop up plays that I don't believe in, or at least understand what is a good bet and what's not a good bet. But content-wise, do you think most people are consuming betting content for the entertainment or for the right picks? I I think most people are consuming it in hopes that it can help them form an opinion. Uh, I, I think that this word entertainment gets thrown around improperly by both sides. I think a lot of creators use entertainment to disguise just bad content creation that's because it's sort of like ah this isn't like i I don't really know what i'm doing but i'm gonna do it it's entertaining so it's okay we get by with it and so i think that's kind of happens a lot and then consumers sort of see that and then i i think what happens is we we get in a spot where we kind of lose the point of what content is supposed to be which is trying to engage with an audience and let them progress by consuming it. And I think a lot of that comes around having something presented that allows the user to create opinions, which is what people are looking for. The the unfortunate part is there's no barrier to sort of establish yourself as an expert. We've gone so far away from sort of needing to have any sort of track record or history, good or bad, needing to be established to be presented as an expert because you can put a video up now on any of these platforms and you can immediately have an enormous reach because the video gets picked up and presented in front of a lot of people. That hasn't been the case before. So you have people who catch a huge run of an audience that they're getting pumped by all of these channels. And all of a sudden now, because their reach is bigger than a lot of established professionals or people who are very good at doing content, they're sort of treated as the expert because they have the biggest reach because of how they've presented their content in a certain way. So the, to me, the game is really changing in that perspective where people just want to watch something that helps them form an opinion and they want to use that to make picks, but you don't necessarily have to be good at giving picks to do that. And I think there's sort of this feeling among the pros and sharps, like you mentioned, that do it, that they're like, we're deserving of the audience. But like you said, a lot of them just are very, very bad at doing content. And so... It's this weird line that's sort of going away where you don't have to be sort of established of what you're doing. You just have to make the good video. And then all of a sudden you have this big audience, which makes it really, really confusing for the audience trying to figure out what's good and bad. See, I, I'd like to push back against people. And I'm kind of with you because I've been in the content space now. This is the, what is it going to be into 20, the end of 2023, the 15th year of the Pat Mayo experience of talking about fantasy, gambling, daily fantasy, sports in general, whatever it might be. And, you know, I'll see someone come along on TikTok and they have 200, like their reach is instantly bigger than mine. 
just right. straight out of the gate doing 30 second videos. I have no idea who this person is, but way more people now know this person and consume this person's content than me. I'm like, oh, what, what are this person's bona fide? What do they know? But I'm also the person in 2009 that just started doing this myself too. So why am I in a position to try to put this person down? It, exactly. It, it's it's no longer up to us to sort of determine what is good. That's very much on the platforms. And so with doing the podcast, doing the videos, anything, we have to try either just really draw that firm line in the stand and say, we're never, ever wavering away from that. But at the same time, if you stick too far on that side of the line, everyone's going to grow while you're kind of stuck in place. I think you're a really good example of someone who's always been authentic with their audience and has a very dedicated audience in anything you've done, fantasy, golf, football, anywhere. Like anything that you put up has that core audience that has been with you for years and it continues to grow and you're doing things in a very authentic way. It's not just that quick, massive boom where you have that audience. Like I can think of a the channel during March Madness that came up and did uh, the 10 the step ladder parlay challenge and just put up astronomical numbers and now have just this enormous following. But like I look at your audience, they're there every single show back for it every day because of you and Jeff and the guests that you have on, you've built like that audience and community. And that's very, very real. And then I look at something like that. It, it got big in a hurry. It caught fire. But like how sustainable is that long-term? Are these guys going to be doing that three years from now, five years from now? I know you'll be here. I don't know how long those last. And so that's sort of another thing that's, that's tricky to navigate when you see these channels pop up. It, it frustrates me personally, because I'm like, I know what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I myself don't want to do that. But then you you look at the numbers and you're like, this there's really something here that people want. And so it's like, how do you manage that? It's a tough thing to balance. What do you think is the worst type of content? Now, as a creator, I'm not saying what personally is bad, but like I've noticed that, I mean, these shorts, be it YouTube shorts, TikTok shorts, Instagram reels, whatever it might be, get your point out in 15 seconds, 30 seconds, go on your way. Or... I mean, I've had continued, like, just to look at the numbers of my show, the longer the show I put out, the better numbers it does. If I put out like a 20 minute show, no one's like, it's not that no one is interested, but far more people seem to be interested in a two and a half hour show rather than a 20 minute show. So it seems like it's one poll or the other, whether it's super long, time consuming, fill up your day. And that's really the, the niche that I kind of occupy in this space now like no one is coming to me pat's got the locks like i'm I'm tailing pat people do tail me because it's fun when we all win you talk about the community aspect but like even when i do my golf research show i'm not really giving out picks i'm just going through what i look at every single week people here people have won bets this year that i didn't place didn't even think about placing because on a golf show when i did the research and showed it on the screen they saw something that i didn't or they heard me say something like it clicked for them to go through it and I think that's what people like about it. But when I talked about entertainment, like people love me, Jeff and Cus talking because they can put it on for two and a half hours and kill some time. And it doesn't matter what the picks are. They might not even like football. It's like hearing the three of us talk. Here's the difference. You are very much a polished media professional that can be something that is worth listening to and comfortable to listen to for 60, 90, 120 minutes, whatever it is. I, I think that there is a massive difference between you in that long form role and the numbers show it versus someone who is not a media professional, has no training, doesn't think about it, but has the audacity to be like, I'm going to turn on a mic for three hours, talk with someone just to fill time. And people are going to listen to me because I have expertise and experience. Like at, at some point, I don't know when it happened. We've got to this sort of stage where everybody's just kind of grown up with content and just thinks that they can immediately be good at doing it as long as they buy the microphone and turn it on and start talking. The reason I think that the shorts resonate so well as more so a style, never mind the platform, but just as a style is because I think it's significantly easier for someone to talk about something for 15 seconds and make a point that resonates then they can be entertaining and hold someone's audience and attention for 60 minutes. I think it's a completely different style and class and talent to do one or the one or the other. And so the reason I think the short form video is becoming so popular isn't because attention spans are getting shorter and people just want to like sit in that format. 
but because it's a lot easier to do something well for 15 seconds than it is for an hour or two. I, I think there's so many people doing bad long form content that think it should be good. But I'm like, it's brutally difficult to sit for an hour or two and be entertaining and hold someone's attention. It's really, really hard to do that. And you're one of the few people that can do it well. And that's been a long process. I'm sure that the shows, fuck, even five years ago were much worse than they are now. Or maybe some people would say they were better because they were a bit more loose five years ago than maybe that they are today. Sure. Just try not to get caught up in, not that you don't want to keep your hands clean of everything. Like the, the show needs to be somewhat edgy, push the envelope a little bit, but there's very distinct lines that you just don't want to cross uh, at this point where I think that was less of the case 10 years ago. And I, I can speak to myself and the way I've cleaned up my language a lot of the time or some of the points that I make. It just... It's not the same that it was. There's a lot to lose at this point, too. And when you have nothing and then you grow it into something, you think about all you can lose in that situation as well. And I mean, maybe that's a pivot into gambling because I mean, it's the same problem that I've had playing DraftKings gambling over the years as well. And I've learned my lesson enough times at this point that I stay within my bankroll with it. But you see a lot of new players coming in, have basically no education in terms of gambling. And you might be able to play in a state where DraftKings gives you, let's say, a thousand dollar bonus for signing up and then you put yep. that on a parlay that's a 10 to 1 parlay because it's a free bet you got to use it Pizzola and i will be talking or just talked about this on our gambling show of how to utilize free bets to the to maximize your potential and advantage they are free bets for a reason kind of go yolo on them you're not getting that money back so let's say someone hits a 12 to 1 parlay as a first time depositor on a thousand dollar free bet now they have twelve thousand dollars instead of being like okay I have manageable limits here. What would I normally bet? The the instinctive thing is always going to be to press, to push. Like, I'm good at this now. I'm going to go up to $2,000 a bet, $3,000 a bet. And then like three days later, they have no money left. And sometimes you just need to learn that lesson the hard way. And I've learned it enough times over the past 10 years to not do it anymore. I just, I know what I'm going to bet. I have a good idea of what I want to bet every week. What's an acceptable loss? What's an acceptable win for myself? And I just... I'm not a pro, so I don't need to be really trying to like, oh, man, listen, I, I've got the edge this week. I really need to up my bet. Like, I might up my bet if I have a better feeling about something or the numbers really pop out, but I'm not just going to start throwing down 5K a game if my normal limit is like 100, 200 bucks. Like, that makes no sense. That's how you're going to drain your bank account, trying to get lucky just one time. And I see a lot of people do it, but I feel like it's more problematic now because you have all of these people who are so unfamiliar with the space that are just kind of, diving into the deep end right away and creating a lot of bad habits. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think it's only going to get worse too i mean we're still not seeing what the effects are when california goes live and when texas goes live and when florida goes live i mean there's so many new betters that have yet to be created and i mean there's so many new people that turn 21 every single day in the united States. Like, it's only going to get worse we're not going to get i don't think to a point where it's just everybody's preaching responsible gambling and understands how the math behind everything works. And I, I don't think sports books necessarily want it to go that way either because they're sort of as guilty, maybe that's the wrong word to use, in terms of creating that kind of content too. Um, you see a lot of them now sort of bringing content in-house, which inherently creates uh, some internal conflict that exists, certainly. And like I don't, I don't think that stops anytime soon. And so 
I don't know. I, I think that's, I think you're spot on with that. And I only think that as the barriers to entry and the lack of defining what is or is not good and bad content sort of decreases, I think there's only going to be more people entering the space trying to hit a, hit a big score initially and, and build an audience from it. I think it's only going to get worse. Do you think that these major networks should fuck around with gambling at all in putting it as a part of like you see on Monday Night Football, that ESPN will try to integrate some sort of gambling angle to it. We see it in Canada, like on TSN, on Sports Center. It's like, oh, here are the here are the odds on first goal, and like the people have no idea what they're saying. And the feedback that I've gotten from, and maybe this is different generationally, from like my dad who still watches Sports Center religiously every single day, my father-in-law, to even a couple of people my age, you know, their mid thirties who don't really gamble but love watching Sports Center. They want to see the Jays highlights or the Leaf highlights or whatever it is. Like they find the integration of gambling into this really repulsive. So it doesn't seem like it's creating that many new users from that particular scenario that they might be better off just having it on ESPN plus or TSN as an alternate feed for people who would want to actually seek that out. I think they, in general, all the networks, Canada, the States have handled it in the wrong way. I, I thought that just like, for example, there was a station in Philadelphia a couple of years ago and they really pushed like the live gambling feed around the 76ers games. And it was, it went from nothing to like, here's a full broadcast side by side on the game. We're going to talk gambling the entire show, the entire duration, and you're going to love it. And, and it was such a departure from what it normally was to what that is. It was like, well, how is this going to work? I think about Canada the last couple of years, TSN sport. I, I, I'm not a big hockey guy. I heard about the sports net hockey stuff. I'll focus on like the TSN football stuff. It's like a three-minute bumper before the game kicks off where they just list five guys that are popular bets for some random market, anytime touchdown score, first touchdown. Like, there's so little thought put into it. I feel like a lot of it was like, we're just going to put gambling up in front of the broadcast and people are going to love it, which it just doesn't, to me, as any sort of stage within this click whatsoever. So when you're talking about your anyone you know that doesn't like it and they're repulsed by it i certainly see why i think there's been a lot more thought around the integration of fantasy sports into broadcasts and i think we're starting to see that handled in a really good way to me the way that things should go if we're just focusing on nfl in this regard you have like terry mccauley coming in as the rules analyst after big calls and you have like the Matthew Barry pre-show as the fantasy guy breaking everything down in context to the game. Gambling, I think, needs to be presented in a way that is at like an elevated expertise level and not like a here's something everything can do. Because I think what all of these networks are missing out on is that there's so much expertise and knowledge within the betting side. Fantasy too, certainly on a player matchup basis. But there's there's so much that they can tap into to provide really, really interesting insights that's not just blasting odds and a sportsbook company logo at you a number of times during the broadcast. I, I don't think that referencing in-play odds is the answer either, but there's like perfect example is the last year that I've been with Red Angle Sports. Like the way that these guys who do this for a living think about football games and analyze it and the insights they have it would be so valuable to everybody watching, but they're just obsessed with here are all the odds bet. Now come bet. Here's a parlay. I, it's just, it's so shallow to me and thoughtless that there could be such a deeper level here. See, I, I'm curious to see what generation two of these sports book deals look like with the major networks, because maybe I'm wrong. And maybe this is the angle to get the most put up a parlay. Here you are. And you get a $200 deposit match when you deposit. Maybe that just works. And I don't see it, but it doesn't seem to me like it is the most effective way in order to do this. And from the content side, it just produces absolutely, it just seems like an infomercial every single time. It's like they got these giant checks from the sports books, which obviously they want to get their advertising. It's great advertising for a sports book to be on a major sports channel. That I understand. I would have handled it differently in terms of how I would have tried to integrate it into the content. But here I am talking on YouTube and not talking to a national audience at the same time. So maybe I'm off base with this, but it just felt like they did the minimum amount required to collect their paycheck. I, I So I have two comments on this. The first, I think that there's this 
disguise of acquisition that everyone kind of got blinded by. And they're like, we need to acquire users now, now, now it's this huge rush. We got to get everyone we can right now. We're not going to succeed. And essentially two sports books succeeded in doing that, taking over the majority of the market. Everyone else was just kind of firing money to try to get anything that they can. There was very little thought put in to these by these sports books into the re-engagement of users. So say you get that guy who's sitting down to watch Sunday Night Football that puts in the $50 deposit for the first time. He gets the free bet. He loses both. He's now at zero. What does he do now? What are you doing for him now? There's no re-engagement thought really put into any of these advertisement campaigns. So I think for the Gen 2 of ads to come, it needs to focus around that. Because at some point, all the users within the user base are going to be sort of acquired. And there's going to be a sort of non-sustainable way where these companies they are spending 40% of their revenue on advertisement that can't last forever. And so there's going to be these new betters created and it's going to be, how can we get these guys in and then have them coming back time after time and playing more? Cause that's kind of an afterthought at this point, a really good example that I sort of lived through and experiencing this was, I won't say which network, but it was one of the two in Canada <laughs> wanted to do a betting show on Sunday morning uh, throughout all of their media platforms. Oh, you got, and there you, got was, con- you got contacted about that as well? <laughs> so it's, <laughs> right. And so it was like, okay, we we need to take a pitch and see what you think. And there was the executives on the call. And the idea that was pitched to them was from a better's perspective, because the counter was that right now, everything is from the sports books perspective And from the advertisement perspective for acquisition, we want to pitch it as to what to look for when you're betting these games and try to help you as a better lose less. We weren't saying we're going to turn you into winners, but it was like, we want you to have something that you can take as an opinion and lose less. And the guy who was the top executive on the other side of the call said, well, I don't think our sportsbook sponsor is going to like that because they just want the, the users to sign up. Why do we want to try give these people a chance to win? And I was like, are, who, are you trying to put out good content or are you just trying to satisfy the sportsbook sponsorship here? Like what's going on? And he was completely bound by sort of appeasing the sportsbook sponsorship dollars more so than he was intrigued by the idea of potentially producing good content that could give people the opportunity to to win more than they do currently, not turn them into long-term winners, but it's like that messaging and that sort of foundation was so controlled by the sports books who were buying those deals on those networks that he, he was just sort of either blind to seeing what the upside could be from doing something well, or just not willing to do it because he didn't want to risk it. And so that's kind of the world we're living in where now sports books are sort of buying out the messaging from these networks. It's going to take a long time for them to switch, but at some point it's got to switch. It's going to switch because I mean, I I think I'm a pretty good example. Like I am sponsored by one of the major sports books that's out there. I've been with DraftKings for seven years now as my title sponsor. They don't give me notes on anything. I can say whatever I want on the show. They just want people watching my show. They want the audience to be as big as possible and me encouraging people to play on DraftKings, which I do. Like, it's not a very hard sell for me. It's where I like to play. Right. I mean, I can't bet it in the province that I'm in right now, but I play daily fantasy every single week. I talk about DraftKings pricing. Um, you know, I give out bets. Some are good, some are bad. And we talk about different strategies. Like when Pozzola came on, uh, I mean, on the last show that I think people are hearing on this feed, if you go back and check it out, you know, we talked about things to avoid at sportsbooks and how to not make as many stupid bets as possible. Now, if DraftKings sent me an email being like, don't discourage people from playing parlays as often as they do, like they would never do that. So this just sounds like whatever executive you were talking to. And I think I talked to the opposite executive uh, at the other company uh, when they were trying to do this stuff as well. But it just seems like they have no idea how sports books work, how sports books generate any sort of revenue, what people actually want to see in terms of content. And you're right, they're... They're fearful of risking the, all that money that's coming. It's found money for all these people, but they have no experience in sports betting. So they just have no idea how it works. Zero. And it's very evident minutes into calls with any of these decision makers that that, that doesn't exist. They're not betters. They don't have betting experience. They have nobody advising them on what is good or bad from a betting perspective. 
and, and before I dive into that a little deeper, but I want to say to your point about you and DraftKings and how that works, when I'm saying by re-engagement, I think you reaffirmed a couple minutes ago where you were saying that people watch your show and they come up with things that you didn't even know that you were saying. I get similar feedback too on podcasts that I'll do that they'll be like, I heard you say this and it led me down this road to think about this and it worked out really well. Like, thank you for that. That type of stuff is when I'm saying re-engagement exactly what I mean, where people are coming back week after week or day after day, whatever it might be, just trying to get something that informs them to make a bet. You're not turning everybody into long-term winning bettors that are going to have success forever, but it's something that gives them a better chance than what they have on their own and keeps them coming back in a responsible way. I would challenge anyone who's watching any of these upcoming NFL broadcasts in a couple of weeks you're going to see stuff throughout the games, whether you're in Canada, United States, that are promoted betting, that are getting you to try bet, telling you to do this. None of that is in your interest long-term from a re-engagement standpoint. It's a one-time sale that they're pushing at you. Once you're in, what are they doing for you to try to get you coming back and playing long-term? There's none of that existing. And so that's where I, I think you're spot on with that. But like you said, when it comes to the the knowledge at the top here, there's just such a void of what is right, wrong, good or bad or any experience whatsoever. It just doesn't exist and it's such easy money for so many of these networks to take relative to anything else that's actually going through a very challenging time. It was like this came in at the perfect time all this sports book money. We got to take it cuz I mean, you you look at say radio networks nationwide they're closing down in bunches advertisement spots on network TV outside of the Super Bowl, Very, very challenging. And all of a sudden there's this wave of sportsbook money. It's like, we're just going to take it and, and let them tell us what to do. Cause this is going to make everyone look good and keep going. That, that puts betters in a tough spot. It's funny. Cause I don't even think that the companies are actually telling them what to do. They're just like, Hey, we, we need placement here, here, and here. You figure it out. Don't disparage the sports book. I feel like those are all the conditions that are there. Well, say, for example, you have a, a an SGP product, the same game parlay product. If you're a major sports book, you're going to have ridiculous numbers showing the adoption of that product. And so then if you just think about how this can possibly work, you're at a table where there's network executives and then like the advertising directors from a sports book. And they're saying, here's a product everybody loves. Here's numbers to support that. We're going to pay you this to promote it on your networks. If you don't know the in-depth details about betting and why potentially that could be a very bad bet to push people into, no matter what you do, you're going to get the, the conclusion that this is a good thing to promote and we need to promote this more. And so it's even though these people from like their job perspective with the data and information that they have, I think they're making very smart decisions based on that, but not having that knowledge doesn't even introduce the idea to why this might be a bad thing to be doing. Does that make sense? Where it's like they're doing the right thing based on what they know, but what they don't know is costing them the opportunity to say like, hold on, maybe we can do something better. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And uh, I do agree with you, but I mean, I'm not immune to playing some same game parlays. I love playing. Everyone loves to play the same game parlay. That's Everyone the, does. That's the whole fun of it. Exactly. But they're just being like, well, opening night. Chiefs money line, Mahomes over passing yards, Kelsey over receiving yards, you're good to go. And maybe that's the, I mean, it's the most obvious one that anyone can play. And that one's the most fun to do, but there could be real content game analysis. Like you mentioned around creating a two leg, three leg, four leg parlay. Wait, if this 100%. happens, then this have to ha has to happen. And we can throw it to the actual experts, X players, whatever it is. You don't have to get them talking about the odds of, no. of anything. You can actually say like, Hey, what are like the two, what two ways did this game go the most? Give me a scenario where the Chiefs win on opening night. Give me a scenario where the Lions win on opening night. And then you can have the betting expert or whoever it is, someone who understands how these odds work, then break down the odds in terms of that and then create one off of that. Like that's good content. It's terrific content. And like you look at the the McAfee stuff during the Super Bowl, he, he generated $20 million in handle for his $10 parlay. And it wasn't, that at a super in-depth level, but it was essentially exactly what you just described where he has this massive reach. He goes on the network, he breaks it down. And it's like, here's 20 million in handle. Like people love 
to latch on to that. And if you add some thought and intelligence behind it in terms of the game state, the projections, maybe players who are potentially undervalued, you talk about a bit of the correlation aspect of why if if you're sort of contradicting the people you're putting within the parlay, it's problematic. Like there's so many little easy things that you could do where it's like, you're openly acknowledging that this is a bet that you're less likely to win than are because of the odds and how extreme it is. But like, here's a couple different ways that you can be thoughtful about it. And it at least give you a chance on a bet that otherwise is just sending you to the slaughter. So like, I, I don't know why that hasn't clicked with a good idea for any of these places to do. I, I don't understand it. It's funny, like years ago, I remember Mike Leone and Drew Dinkmeyer coming on my show, like right when they were like dominating on DraftKings. They might, I mean, Leone still is dominating. I don't know what Dink's up to these days. I think he's crushing baseball or basketball. Uh, not so much in the football space content-wise anymore. I think he is crushing basketball. Anyway, they're over at ETR. Go check Dink and Leone out, two of my favorites. But they always told me like when you're creating a daily fantasy lineup and now you have optimizers and everything for it, this was sort of the pre-version of that. Like what does your... And especially for showdown content, especially like, which is like a mega same game parlay on DraftKings is just, what is the story your lineup is trying to tell? Like if your story doesn't make any sense with the lineup that you've put in, it's probably a really bad lineup. And it's sort of the same thing with the same game parlay. Can you tell yourself the story of the game to reflect your same game parlay? Now, just I'm going to try to go from point A to point B here. If you're telling a story, with the bet that you're trying to make, isn't that just content yet? No one is doing it. Yes. Yep. And we had um, a similar situation. I was at covers a couple years ago and there was a discussion about like, how do you do same game parlay content in the right way or something that's as ethical as it can be in terms of not just firing out a bunch of different bets and jumbling them into a parlay. And that was kind of, through discussions, nothing really came from it, but that was the discussion where it's like, if this can have sort of like a narrative tied to it, or like you said, the story around it for how the game could potentially go and you're playing into a specific angle, then that was kind of like the middle ground that was settled on for doing it in the right way. So I think that you saying that is is something that people need to to take to heart if they're going to be in the business of pushing this for sure. Or don't and just give me the money and I'll do it. Well, that's and that's that's the world we're living in. I think you're, you're taking it from a lot of people. Uh, if you talked about in-play odds a little bit earlier, it's funny the amount <laughs> of executives that I talk to, be it within the space, outside the space, but like tangentially involved, be it like PGA, for example. You, know, you talk to the PGA tour, though, man, in-play odds, like that's the future. Everyone just talks about how in-play odds are the future. Am I the only one who doesn't think that's the case? Like in-play betting kind of sucks, unless you're super sharp. Well, it's been the future for like 15 years and everything's going to turn out like it did in Europe. And then it's like, where where are we? Um, but you notice the same things I do. It, it's tough when you're trying to bet in play and take it seriously when you have a 30, 40, 50, 60 second delay on what you're watching versus what you're seeing in the app. So there's this massive video streaming conflict that I think is only becoming worse, like latency wise, because now everybody like in Canada, the NFL game pass is on the zone you're like a minute behind so if you're not committing to the cable operator that you may or may not have you now have to go through the streaming app which may or may not be 30 60 90 seconds behind real time so that's problem one now youtube tv takes over in the u.s there's going to be a delay on that so then what do sportsbook operators do because from the in-play odds perspective if you're offering it as an operator, you're at the mercy of the people sitting in the stadium. It's called court siding in tennis, but people do it in NFL games. You can't delay your odds to match the, the cable broadcast because people are witnessing the game live. So you have to be right on time. So all these people that are watching on streaming services are now kind of on the hook for all these delays. Sportsbooks aren't going to solve the streaming delay problem unless we all get to a world where we're watching every single game within a sportsbook app, which is not out of the realm of crazy things well, that could happen, but I, I'm actually like, that's a huge problem. I, I'm actually surprised about this. And this is something I've talked about for three, four years now, mainly because, you know, one of the apps that I use where I'm at is that a European, predominantly European book, but they still have the live rights to some of the stuff that they have, be it tier three soccer or sure. 
ping pong late night tennis ping pong yeah yeah like all that stuff horse racing from weird countries and stuff that you can bet on in the app and then watch it in quote unquote real time with whatever the latency issue is but you're making your bets five minutes before then it's starting in five minutes i was doing this during covid with horse racing in like saudi arabia and shit like that oh yeah it was it was a time they run backwards yeah russian tennis like russian ping pong it's like i'll bet on the 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 guy whose color is blue i'm I'm gonna bet on that guy and we'll see what happens i'm not immune to this sort of thing and i think that DraftKings tried it out with like euro league basketball a while back but you see and maybe it's just the an overall cost perspective what the technology would actually take in order to get this up and running but i'm very surprised none of the sports books have really become a player in any of these live rights and i don't think that it's like oh you know DraftKings is going to buy the nfl and you can only watch the nfl on the DraftKings sportsbook app like amazon did with thursday night football but there are mm-hmm. smaller things like I, I guess apple offered the bank for the mls but the mls would have actually been a great one for the sportsbook apps to go by like more people would watch that on a sportsbook app than watch it on apple tv straight up off oh, i i think you're right on that for sure it, it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple of years go because it does sound like apple's making a big push and this mls product that they've done with the deal with Messi and how that sponsorship has worked i think that's going to change a lot for where a lot of these leagues end up selling their rights and how it's it ends up being produced and so i don't know if the sports books with some of the bigger leagues are going to be able to compete when you think about like how much was spent lobbying in california once we get into Florida and Texas, there's so much money that they have to put into that. When it comes to acquiring those rights, it might be a little bit difficult. So I don't know what that looks like long term, but could be a big change. One other thing I'll say about InPlay, I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, and maybe this is, I'm not, I don't know if we need to get to like the micro betting play by play nonsense that's for another time but but but, but that but that's even a part of this like you just said you just said the two keywords that i hear so often micro betting i know one person who does this and maybe and just to see his habits of what he does this like when we're watching a basketball game or a baseball game or a football game like the amount of money that he loses on these bets betting punt on this drive or walk on the next player maybe having one of a thousand people be him is worth it for all this micro betting, but I, I don't see a market for it. Well, my biggest gripe with all of that um, as being someone who's really interested in like the entrepreneurial side of sports betting and hearing a lot of these pitches at conferences or podcasts and stuff is like, everybody's gives the long list of reasons for why it can work faster, play more bets per game on and on and on and on. But we'll kind of go back to where we were talking about the content side is, to in order for someone to sort of separate themselves from the money that they have to take a stake on a game, they must have an opinion. And I think we could ask anybody watching the show, what's your opinion on chiefs lions opening night, 15 days from now. And everybody would have some sort of opinion on who would win and whether or not it's an over and under. Some people might have massive conviction on that. Some people maybe, yeah, well, this is my take. Everyone has an opinion. If it's the third drive of the game and Jared Goff starts at his 21-yard line, the conviction and opinion on whether that drive is going to end in a punt or not, I guarantee you is significantly less than any conviction somebody had on whether or not the Lions would cover for that game or the first half for that matter. There's When it comes down to this micro-betting, I think the reason it hasn't clicked beyond the streaming issues is that it's so hard to have an opinion on almost anything that's offered because it happens so quickly that not only do you not know really how to think about the bet that's upcoming, but while you're watching it, it's so hard to keep track of what you're sweating or what you're looking to see if you're a winner or loser on, because it's just instant decision after instant decision. And so I think that's a huge part of it that in all of these pitches and all of this future outlook never ever gets discussed. There's just no opinion in so much of it. And I understand the economics of why you would want to do that from the sports book perspective. Like if you can take a, you know, 10% 10% rake on each bet, you know, getting someone to make 20 bets instead of the one, it's just more profitable for you. Like I understand why right. there's the push for that, but just I've tried to do the micro betting angle, like during like, while I'm watching a football game, then I'm just not watching the game. And that's not it's hard. Either. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun at all. I'm with you. Like, like golf is really the only one where it works from like, cause there's so much time in between shot to shot, even if you were on a delay, then it wouldn't be as big of a deal because you have five end shots in between shots at some point. Or I've always kind of pitched the idea, like designate a par three that people can bet on. 
And well, it, the Masters, perfect example for that, where almost anybody watching knows what's coming. And I think if there was a guarantee that you would get, I, I know you can do it from the app, but if you're watching like main coverage of it on cable, if you knew that a guy you were watching would be shown to play specific holes, you would probably be willing to have an opinion on how he's going to play that hole. I think that's like the the one exception to this whole thing where it could work. Yeah, and because you have time to think about it. Exactly. And, and you know what's coming. You know the situation. You know what he needs. I I I totally agree. But like you said, when you get in like the, the confines of an NFL game, and you're like it, it goes so quick as you're like what what just am i winning am i losing like what's happening here so i, I completely agree there yeah like when we were in college we used to go watch games like seven or eight of us go watch the games at a sports bar just off campus and like we would just bring a roll of quarters with us and we would bet on the outcome of like next catch you know everyone just throw in their quarter say a name and then we just kind of wait there and you know, watch the game until a catch was made by that team sometimes the pot would run over a drive whatever so i get why it's fun but that was fun for basically zero stakes because it was something to do between us while we were watching the game like there's such an insular thing about micro betting especially if you're watching it i could see it if you were watching games alone i think it would make more sense it's really awkward when you're watching with like more than three people oh yeah very awkward i hear you're spot on with all of that yeah so let's talk about week one or actually futures just a little bit is one of the main reasons that i wanted to have you on is there any value left on the NFL futures board or was that gone a month ago? Are we talking teams, teams divisions, players, or you want to go players either? Just in, just in, I don't mean like individual players. I just mean in general, like has the value become efficient now, like where it should be rather than be like, Oh, that's a bad number. Like, are we too close to the season or do you think that there's still soft spots? So, my goal in any show that I do content wise is always try to do something that like could be valuable coming up to think about or forward looking rather than talking about a whole bunch of stuff we've already bet. Um, I would say that right now we're going into the final week of the preseason and there's going to be sort of this 10 day delay after we get to Sunday until we get to Thursday night football. You can probably make with a handful of teams a pretty good decision based on how the quarterback stuff has shaped up in camp, as well as a year where we have 16 new coordinators league wide on how they have treated things within the preseason to where you can see that a team based on how they've performed the last three weeks is going to be noticeably different coming up in the season than what they were last year. And so with so many different player props being offered at all of these different sports books for season long stuff, I think there's still definitely opportunity to where if you think about it from that perspective and say, what have we seen different in preseason? How is this team going to be different in 2023 versus 2022? What does these last three weeks tell us? I think you can still find some player value for sure. Okay. Is there any one in particular that you're looking at? I I would circle out Brandon Ayuk as a receiver if you can find them there's some touchdown markets there's some receiving yards markets it's not going to be the most like widely available thing um but what i saw this past weekend from brock purdy and the ones for san francisco i thought was really really telling um kyle shanahan about a month and a half ago came out and said he really wants like purdy to get the full go there was doubt about his elbow we didn't know where Trey Lance would fit in. We didn't know if Sam Darnold could make a run at the number one spot. There was just a ton of uncertainty around the 49ers. And we got a glimpse of what they can look like with all of these skill guys coming back against the Broncos in that first drive. He looked really, really good. And Ayuk last year in that chunk of time that Purdy was the starter was his sort of main target and his main guy. And so in, a, in an offense where there was so much uncertainty – we got a glimpse of what it could be. I think that was pretty telling of what we might see um, from Ayuk in the season coming forward. So that would be like an example of one where we got a glimpse of stuff. Now we can think about it going forward. Yeah, I like that. And if we talk about week one in general, just kind of looking at the board of drafting sports book right now, I'm still kind of iffy on some of them. Like, I, It's funny you talked about the, the opening night game with the Lions at the Chiefs. I don't have a super strong opinion on minus six and a half for the Chiefs on that game. I was like, that sounds about right to me. 
And one of the things that Rob and I talked about, and I, I've actually been preaching, and Jeff kind of does the opposite of it, is that I, I don't feel the need to bet primetime games. Like, I just because it's happening doesn't mean I need to bet on it, but I feel like I'm in the minority of that. Do you have more of an opinion on Chiefs six and a half than you would what they do on their third drive of the game? That I would. <laughs> Point proven. Um, well, Let's look at this total for right now. It's sort of sitting around, what's a fair number? Sort of mid-low 53, 54 range, 54 we'll call 54 right now, yeah. Um, that's about as high as you're going to see a total in the NFL at any point during this season. Last year, the average total for an NFL game was right around 44. So, I mean, this is priced basically to the max for what we can expect from a total. I think if you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, you can say that we know basically exactly what their offense is going to be. Their defense, I have a very strong opinion, even without the Chris Jones thing going on, if he's not there, I still think this defense is going to be very much improved. I think from the Lions side, we know exactly what their offense is going to be, and there's no question that their defense is going to be improved. So we have two teams where we know what their offense is. I think it's very easy to speculate that both of these defenses are going to be better but we have a total of 54, which is as high as it goes. There is no way that this total could be higher for both of these teams. However, when it comes to sort of forming your opinion on this game, as easy as it is to say that this total is really, really high, it's really tough to discount how good Andy Reid has been in week one games in terms of getting his offense up and running to a very, very fast start. And so it's kind of me being torn in the middle here where Everything from like a smart analytical perspective says this total is way too high. You got to bet the under. It's really tough to ignore how well the Chiefs start these games. And Pat, I'm sure you've heard a million times how good Andy Reid is off the bye during the season. That always comes up whatever week they have the bye week. This is Andy Reid off of basically three and a half months of prep. And it really shows in how good they've been week one. So that kind of keeps me off the under. So it's funny when we just think about these two teams in general, like I, I too have my opinion of Kansas city on their offense, defense, how good their special teams and coaching is going to be. They're kind of the known variable in the situation. The unknown that we need to solve for is Detroit. Everyone loves Detroit. They probably have the most handle of any team to win the super bowl at this moment. Super pop. I don't know if they're going to be any good or not. Like they could be like, I think they will be good, but people are saying, oh yeah, 13 wins, 12 wins for the lions. Like would it, be super stunning if they were eight and nine this year. Well, so last year they won nine games. They had an offense that ranked eighth in the league for EPA per play success rate eighth. They had a defense that was 28th, right? So when you think about like, where's the improvement coming from for this team? Everyone's like, they're going to be better. They're going to win all these games. Okay, let's say they get to to 12 wins. They take another ridiculous leap. They improved by like five wins a year ago. Let's say they get three more wins this year, four more wins. Like how much better is this offense going to be than eighth? Are you going to say that they're a, like a top three offense? Okay, like I can entertain that. It's, I think, a, a huge stretch. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe defensively they finish 16th, right? They, they, they go from one of the worst to like a league average defense. In my mind, I think that's what a lot of people sort of envision when they say the Lions are going to take a leap. Well, you know what team has had a top three offense and a below average defense for the last five years? The Kansas City Chiefs. That's that you're you're if you're saying the Lions are going to improve in that regard, and that's kind of what you have in your mind, you're saying that the Lions are going to be as good as the Chiefs have been the last five years. Well, here we are looking at them opening night. The Chiefs are a touchdown favorite. So you're kind of the market's sort of telling you what to think about that regarding comparison, because that's that's kind of what you need the Lions to be if you're saying they're taking another leap. Is when I look at the like Sunday week one board, is it wrong that I'm intrigued with all of these teams that people think they're just going to suck? That week one we always see kind Fire of at me. like Arizona plus six against Washington. Nothing that that I don't think that Arizona is going to be bad. They probably are. The best they're probably going to be without Kyler is in week one. And like, I don't think Washington's very good. Like, why is Washington a six point favorite? Washington very logically, I mean, maybe they'll win 30 to nothing. That happens. Do you have a Sam Howell opinion? I, I think fantasy wise, he could be like, okay, but I 
no, not really. Like I, all of these guys from last year, be it Ritter or Pickett or Sam Howell, like everyone just wants one of these guys to be good. But what if just none of them are good? They're like, okay. Like they all just kind of reek of good career backup. We've had a lot of internal debate on how good Sam Howell is. And like, I don't have a strong opinion. I don't know how to think about it. We have some guys who think that he's like quarterback 20 to 22. We had another today in the group say that he thought he was the worst starting quarterback in the league, number 32. I, I just, I don't know what to think about it. And there's so much hype after that Monday night win where they broke the streak. I mean, they were doing a victory lap in a preseason game, high-fiving fans, which that's an indicator that your team sucks. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, It's something. And maybe it's like ownership really trying to make a mark that they're different on national TV. Like, I don't know how to think about Sam Howell, but I think that you're right that he could very well just be like a bottom tier quarterback. And then this is Washington laying a big number at home. I know Arizona is not going to be good, but it sure is a lot of points to be laying in a week one game where there's a massive question mark at quarterback for a team. So like the other one, for example, like do we think that any of these now second year quarterbacks or even the the rookies this year, be it Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, I have a bit of a different opinion on Anthony Richardson. Not that I think that he's going to be good or bad, but I think he'll be good for fantasy. And that's really all I care about. Trying to cap the Colts, I think is very difficult. Are any of these guys currently better than Ryan Tannehill? I didn't expect Tannehill coming as the comparison there. Uh, no. CJ CJ Stroud is not better than Tannehill based on what we've seen. Anthony Richardson is not better than Tannehill based on what we've seen. Um, other second year guys. Ticket? Maybe. That's a good question. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, maybe that's like the one guy that you could see having more upside. Boy. But other than that, uh, it's tough to make the case that any of them are. Uh, I, I can't do it. So so I look at the Titans. This is why I bring this up. They're, they're three and a half point dogs in New Orleans. Everyone's kind of on the Saints jock this year. But I don't know how much, like their defense was great last year. That's something that's far more difficult to repeat than a great offense. So maybe they take a little bit of a step back on defense. Now they have Derek Carr. They do not have Andy Dalton as their quarterback. So that's probably an improvement. Michael Thomas is going to be back. You know, Alvin Kamara is going to be back in week four, but he's not playing in this game. So maybe you see some more Jamal Williams and Kendry Miller in this spot. Olave, a second year breakout building on the amazing year one that he had, but the Titans are, they're worse, but they're relatively unchanged from what we saw a year ago. And the team should have made the playoff, should have won the division, should have had double-digit wins, and they just didn't turn out that way. But I feel like the Titans are weirdly undervalued now because, you know, Derrick Henry, oh, he's washed. Is he? He's probably fine. Ryan Tannehill, he's okay. They get DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, they lose a little bit on the defense. They lose a little bit on the offensive line. That's not helpful by any means. But to me, these teams are pretty even, and three and a half points feels like a half point or a point too much. Something kind of sneaky around the saints right now is that Pete Carmichael is their offensive coordinator last year when he was promoted to the job he really tried as hard as he possibly could to talk everybody out from giving him that promotion like he legitimately did not want to be the offensive coordinator he was he was under Peyton for years as sort of like the offense he had the label but Peyton was the guy doing everything Carmichael did not want the OC job He got retained this year for another season. But you start to see the doubts that the team has as him as this role because they brought John Gruden in in the offseason kind of quietly to install the offense with Derek Carr because Gruden knows Carr, but Gruden also knows this offensive system very well. Him, Carmichael, and Peyton go back two decades in the NFL. So the Saints brought in another coach to help Derek Carr fit into the offense. And so far this preseason, last week specifically, they had Ronald Curry, who's a name that probably not a lot of people know. He's the quarterback coach for the Saints. They actually had him as the play caller. And Peyton wanted him to be the OC in Denver over Pete Carmichael, who was working with Peyton for two decades. And so there's this huge question and offensive coordinator for the Saints that I don't know when they solve. But I think with now the Kamara suspension and you have Thomas coming back after being absent for a little while, I have big questions around whether the Saints just start off sort of seamlessly with all these guys coming back 
when they have so much uncertainty at play caller because all of these guys that have had big years have done so under Peyton. It hasn't happened under Carmichael, and now there's this big switch. And so that's kind of my Saints note here that would agree with your take on the Titans in this spot. Yeah, it's just I feel like these teams are even. And I think the Saints get special credit because they're in the NFC South where they can, I mean, they, they did beat the Eagles last year. That was really nice. And they had this really good defense. They could score points. And yeah, bringing in Derek Carr should help, like I mentioned. But I just think you might see them beat the crap out of Atlanta or Carolina. Like all the teams in that division stink. And the Saints just happen to be the best of the bunch. And yeah, the Titans play in a really crappy division as well. But at least you know, there's a lot of continuity on that team that's been average to above average for like five years now. And there's something to that, I especially think in week one. They're always an interesting dog, the Titans are, because their sort of goal under Vrabel is to keep the game sort of extremely low variance for the first three quarters so they're competitive in the fourth. And they do that a lot by running the ball, obviously using Derrick Henry. But like sort of the whole Vrabel mentality, even with the internal promotion at OC this year of Tim Kelly, it's his third OC that he's promoted internally. Uh, and it's always sort of his mandate that like, let's keep the game close. And then in the fourth quarter, see what happens. Cause he really trusts his defense. So they're always kind of a sneaky underdog uh, in that regard, especially catching more in the field goal, just because they go out of their way to try keep things really close throughout the entire game. So that's, they're, they're an interesting dog every week for sure. Adam Chernoff, thanks for joining me on the show. I could have talked for like another three hours doing this. We have to get together sometime in season to do this, but I need you to tell people where they can see your breakdowns every single week and the best place to find your content. Definitely go to the RAS app in the Apple App Store. Google Play will be coming very soon. We got to support the the Android folks out there. We're not not thinking about you, but right now it's in the Apple App Store. So it's a free download and you'll get uh, short form text content that's easy to read each and every day. And if you want to do this in season, I'm, I can always talk more football. So anytime you need me, I'll be here. Well, thank you very much. I want to remind everyone out there, go join runthesims.com right now. Sign up with your email, get yourself a free membership that will get you the season-long projections, which you can save, print out, make your own rankings, completely customizable. And I do think we're going to make the week one showdown simulator for Chiefs Lions completely free so you can run as many simulations customizable any way you want. You want the premium tools? Code Mayo for that. Enter code Mayo at LeagueSafe.com as well. Store your fantasy leagues money there this year. Make it easy just to email everyone and get the money back out at the end of the year. No hassle on your end. Just get everyone to deposit to the link. And if you use code Mayo under the microphone icon, you'll get an extra 10 bucks thrown to the commissioner just for doing that. Again, 15 years in the business, no issues, money on hand. Uh, if you're ever worried about anyone in your league, like handling the money, you don't need to. Go to LeagueSafe.com. Smash the like, sub to the channel while you're here, and download, rate, review, and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!